Ephesians chapter 4. Paul, in his writings under the direction of the Holy Spirit, um, has a pattern that he does in his writings. He deals with the doctrinal issues, lays the foundation, and then he'll come back in and he'll make personal application. Um, it's something that that we need to establish in our own lives. We need to to know the doctrine, the teaching of God. But just knowing that doesn't do any good if we don't flush it out of our lives, if we don't make the application and see how does it apply to my life. And in, in our study already in Ephesians, in chapter 1 we studied um, the most wonderful story ever heard, the story of how God provided redemption through Christ. In chapter 2, we learn that as believers, we are a living organism. The church is made up of people. It's made up of born-again people. Um, and we represent Christ on this earth. In chapter 3, we learn further that we are the building of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is dwelling in us. And together, we represent the habitation of God. And now in chapter 4, he begins the practical outworking, our, our walk, um, the reality of, okay, these truths that we've already looked at and we just briefly summarized, how are they, how are they wrought out? So in, in chapter 4 through 6, the rest of the book of Ephesians, he lays down not just duties, and they, they are duties, they are responsibilities that we uh, have that he desires and requires us to perform, but also he he is giving us um, living examples of the good works that he talked about in Ephesians 2:10 that we are saved, this great redemption that he's talked about, and now this is how it works out of our life, the outworking of it. So he gives a a very practical emphasis. Eight times in the book of Ephesians, in this short book, he uses the word walk. And he's dealing with our daily walk, our the most basic aspect of of, um, how we progress as individuals. And, And he establishes throughout all of this, he's talking about we as believers, as the the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's writing it to the church. He's dealing and teaching them how a church functions. <clears throat> and, and it really brings us back to ask a question. What did God have in mind when He said, I will build my church? I mean, sometimes we may even ask, Why did God establish a church? Sometimes I ask that, okay? Um, What were you thinking, God, when when you did this? 
Because we live in such a, well, it's not our culture's fault. We as people are very individualistic, very selfish, and a church is the antithesis of that. It's the opposite of that. So we, in addition, as Americans, are very individual, and by nature, we don't need anybody else, and, and that is completely foreign to what God intended in a church. And so many times we get tainted views of what a church is. I mean, there's no way that that we could fully know, but each and every one of us here today have ideas of what church is. Um, And we have ideas of, whether we think about it much, on why we come to church. To some, it's, I was always brought up going to church. It's a thing that respectable people do. It's a thing that Christians do. And I'm here. Um, To some, they may be here to make others happy. I mean, well, I know it'll make it a little better in the home if, if I show up for church. To some, I just feel good about coming to church. Um, To some, it's I'm anxious to see my friends um, and fellowship with them. Um, There could be numerous other reasons why we attend church. And, of course, um, there's, well, God commanded us to. But, you know, it helps us if we understand, okay, I'm commanded to do this, but this is the reason behind it. Why? When you really step back and think about it, it's kind of an odd thing that, that he designed. Why couldn't it just be he loved me, he saved me, I'm going to heaven and he's going to shepherd me. Why does he bring in all this other stuff? And and yet when you see God's purpose, it helps you understand and have, have the right motive. And in this, he begins by saying, I I am writing unto you that you would walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. So the first three chapters he's been spelling out this calling. That God has called us. It was not anything of ourselves, not of any works we have done. It is all God's grace that we're brought into His family. This is an amazing part. We're able to be part of of the temple, so to speak, that He is building. The apostles are the foundation. And and He is using us as living stones to, to represent Him. And what a great privilege. So He says... We have this great and high calling of God. Now he says, now we need to step up and walk. Here's the calling. Walk worthy of that calling. Walk as, as a representative of, of what God has called us to. And so he, 
he spells this out and he brings it down. And I want you to look at verse 11. And he gave him, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And in verse 12, he gives really his heart for what he wants to see accomplished in, in a church. He said, I've given these various giftings for the church, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. We'll just stop there for, for this moment. God's purpose for the church, first of all, is for the equipping of the saints. The word that he uses there means to complete, provide complete furnishings of everything that is necessary, equipping us. In other words, um, he says, I want through the ministry of the church to provide you the things necessary for you to walk worthy of the calling that God has called you to. So, go back to the go back to the beginning of the chapter. Walk worthy of the calling with which you are called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. If all there was was Christ loved me, I trusted Christ for the forgiveness of sins. I have a home in heaven, and now it's just me, and God is just shepherding me. That's all I need. That's all I have. He wouldn't have to write, be, walk worthy of the calling, and he wouldn't list these things, lowliness of mind, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, because if it was just me and God and that's it, You don't need those things. But he said, I saved you to represent me among people. And he says, I am come to transform your life and to to bring you to walk worthy of this calling, to walk, first of all, in lowliness of mind, a humbleness of mind. Now see, if we really grasp the, fir- the, the teachings of the first three chapters of this book, we would realize I have nothing to glory in. I am not saved because I had the wisdom to figure it out and why, why wouldn't a person trust Christ? No, it was only the Spirit of God that opened these blind, dead eyes to see that I needed Jesus Christ We have nothing to glory in. So I have nothing to be proud of. All that I have that is mine is sin. And so he says, to walk worthy of the calling, it begins with lowliness of mind. It begins with the humble spirit, not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And understanding in the context here, as we said, I have nothing to glory in. All the glory goes to God. So it's not thinking we are better than others that haven't come to Christ, or is it thinking that 
Uh, we are more mature than other believers. No, it, anything good is God. And we have nothing to glory in. So he says, first of all, to walk worthy of the calling means to walk in lowliness of mind. Secondly, in gentleness. How would you want others to treat you if you were in the situation you're thinking of how you should treat them? You know, we are all very merciful to ourselves. We, we think people ought to cut us some slack. We're very merciful to ourselves. He says, in all gentleness. In other words... As he said in the Sermon on the Mount, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. You see a Galatians, you see a brother overtaken in a fault. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. This aspect of, of a gentle spirit, of not demanding our own rights. This is, this is walking worthy of our calling. This is contrary to our natural man. So it's a, a humbleness of mind. It's a gentleness. It's long-suffering with long-suffering. Cheerfully bearing up under is, is the technical definition. It's bearing long with someone. Never giving up. Think how God has dealt with you. How many times God could have and should have given up on us. But He is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. I mean, it's completely contrary to our natural desires. They cross me, I cut them off. No, no. Walk worthy of the calling. Long-suffering. And then he goes on and he says, Bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Bearing with one another in love. Not just bearing with, I'll endure this. It's bearing with... From a spirit that you desire what is best for them. A spirit that you love God and you want that love to flow through you to the other person. And it's keeping the unity of the spirit. It's not making it. It's, it's the spirit that produces it. We keep the unity of the spirit. We're not going to let there come divisions in over certain things that don't matter because he says, and he just quickly, it's almost like rapid fire. He says, don't you know there's only one body and one spirit and one hope and one faith and one baptism and one God and Father of us all? Why are you making all these little divisions? And Well, I don't believe this. I don't believe this. He says, wait a minute here. If we're all, and we'll come back to this later, if we're all in line with the head, shouldn't we be all marching to the same drummer? And he says, this isn't a divided up body that you have the arms over here and the legs over here and the torso back here. 
No, he says, this is all one. And, and he's putting in the context this um, lowliness of mind, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, because we're all one in this. Now, back to the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to equip you so that you can walk in lowliness. To give you the truth. To exhort and rebuke so that you will be reminded to be gentle with one another. That you will be reminded to, to walk in love. And it's, the purpose of the church is to completely furnish us with knowing what we ought to do and pointing you to the power in how to do it, providing the encouragement to do it so that we're walking worthy of the calling with which we are given. So that we are growing to maturity. So that we're no longer, as he said in this passage, children. What do children do? They bicker and fight and turn on each other, right? You got a bigger piece of cake than I got. No, it isn't. Yours is bigger. And as a parent, you get sick and tired of it, right? Sometimes as parents, we're the ones bickering over the size of whatever, okay? But the reality is, it grieves parents to see their own kids squabbling over this. He says, I don't want you to be children anymore, drawn away by foolish thinking. I want you to be mature in Christ. I I mentioned Wednesday night to the men um, this last week, I, I visited with um, President Tillotson from Faith Baptist Bible College, and he said, he said, the majority of pastors that I talk to now are very discouraged because their churches are divided over masks. And I said, that's sad. That's, that's an evidence that our maturity level is very, very low. The issue is not mask. The issue is our maturity level. We should, how should we respond? In lowliness of mind, in gentleness, forbearing one another, long-suffering. The, the, these aren't liberal churches. These are fundamental churches, true to the Word of God, and they're squabbling over Stupid things like that. I told the men, I said, I'm glad that hasn't been an issue here. And I trust if you feel the need to wear a mask that you don't feel put down by doing that here. Or if you don't feel the need to wear a mask. We're one body. We have one spirit. We have one hope of our calling. And Satan laughs and says, look it, they're all supposed to be focused on me and they're battling with each other. And so we are trying to equip you. This is, this is the purpose of a church, to equip you to say, no, that isn't the right behavior. This is what we ought to be doing. And that only comes by preaching the Word of God. That only comes by holding forth the principles of God's Word. So what are we equipping you to? To walk worthy of the calling. But notice what he says in verse 12. 
equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. What is the work of the ministry? The work of the ministry is serving others. So we want to equip you, the whole ministry of the church, and the ministry of the church is not just limited to the pulpit ministry, but the ministry of the church is to equip you so that you, all of us together, go and do the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is serving others. See, our focus is on growth spiritually and maturity. Our focus is not to just fill the church and set a record number of people. Just because you have a lot of people doesn't mean there's any spiritual maturity. It doesn't mean there's any lowliness and humbleness of mind and meekness and long-suffering it doesn't mean that. And, and I believe what, what our nation has been through in the last year is revealing a lot of where spiritual maturity is or is not. But the purpose is to produce growth so that we're no longer children. Children are me, me, me. But that we become mature in Christ And we're willing and our heart's desire is to serve others. It's not about me. It's serving others. And that's why Jesus says, the greatest among you, Matthew 20, 27, the greatest among you is the servant. The one who sees the need and meets it. See, a true servant sees a need and meets the need. It doesn't expect any reward. It's a, it has a servant's heart. Jesus said, when your servant goes and does what you've told him to do, do you, do you have an award ceremony and say, oh, you did what I told you to do. What a great guy. No, he did what was expected of him. He doesn't expect the reward. A genuine servant sees the needs A genuine servant doesn't expect a reward. He does not complain to others while he's going to meet the needs. I'm the only one that sees this. Nobody else is doing this. He doesn't complain about what others do or don't do. Martha was complaining about Mary. Martha saw a need and she went to meet it, but then she complained about Mary not going to meet a need. A true servant doesn't do that. A true servant does it joyfully, as unto the Lord, has a joyful spirit doing it as to the Lord. And a true servant is not selective in who they serve. Well, I kind of like them, so I'll serve them, but eh, they kind of rub me the wrong way. Their personality, uh, I'm not going to serve them. Or I've served them before and they didn't seem to really appreciate it. See, we are blessed in order to be a blessing. Everything God has blessed us with, the first three chapters of Ephesians, every physical blessing that God has blessed us with, everything we have is of God. 
And everything we have, we should be saying, God, how do you want me to use this? How do you want me to to honor you with this? I am involved in the work of the ministry. See, the ministry is, is the ministry of a church is done by the people. That's the church. And, and we are to equip each of us so that we can go out and do the work of the ministry. There are givers, there are takers, and there are wasters. In, in any situation in life. And we need to understand that God has given to us so that we can be givers. I mean, think about it. Most, most of you here, most of us here today, have received from the generous hand of our government stimulus checks. Was your first thought, God, what do you want me to do with this? Or was it, wow, this is extra money? Because most every one of us here, thankfully, have, have not lost our jobs. Um, we haven't been adversely affected economically. So most of it, it was extra money. Thank your U.S. government for that, right? But what was your thought? If your thought, if your heart is a ministry, I want to be a servant, God. Everything I have is yours. God, what do you want me to do with it? It's not just saying, God, okay, here's your 10%. No, it's all God's. Everything we have belongs to Him. God, what do you want me to do with it? See, that's the work of the ministry. God, I am part of your building and your body, and what do you want me to do with it? What a blessing it is when we do that and see God direct and move and how needs are met. It's so important for us that we are called as a body and and the body is made up of individuals, we are called to the work of the ministry. Every one of us are ministers. We're called to minister to one another. So, he says, here's the church. The church is to equip people for the work of the ministry. And then notice what he says. And for the edifying of the body of Christ. For the building up of the body. So our job as people of the body here is to build up one another, and this means we are to encourage one another. We know it, and sometimes we forget about it, but we are in a spiritual warfare. And warfare takes its toll not only mentally and emotionally and physically but it is it is very trying on a person's soul and the world we live in wears us down and even as lot vexed his righteous soul his righteous soul was vexed by the living of sodom 
you've experienced your soul is vexed, it's troubled by what's around us. And we need to encourage one another. Turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Notice verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Notice what he says, don't let your heart become hardened by everything that's going on, but rather be encouraging, exhorting one another so that we do not become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Daily exhorting one another. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. Hebrews chapter 20 and 10 and verse 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So what he's saying is um, we need to consider one another and, and to, to help one another, stir them up to love and, and to good works, and to exhort one another. And the closer we get to the Lord's return, the more we need to be encouraging one another. I don't know about you, but the last 18 months, there's been waves of despair that can sweep over a soul, right? Right? And rather than to sit and wait for someone to come minister to us, God says, I want you to be equipped to do the work of the ministry and go and encourage other believers to consider one another. That means we stop our life a little bit or we take our eyes off our things and our interests and we look for others. If you're reading the love characteristics that we've, we've pointed out, 24 love characteristics of Paul David Tripp, today's love characteristic says this, Love is being a good student of another, looking for their physical, emotional, and spiritual needs so that in some way you can remove the burden, support them as they carry it, or encourage them along the way. That's exactly what he's saying here in, in Ephesians 4 to edify the body. Consider is a good student of another. Looking for their physical, emotional, or spiritual needs in some way so that you can either come and remove the burden. It's not always possible and not always God's will. Or you may support them as they carry it. Or encourage them along the way. 
It's considering one another. To notice that someone's going through a trial. To notice someone is sorrowful. To be aware that someone may may have some financial woes. To to maybe notice that they're they're battle-weary. I mean, they're in the battle. They're, they're, they're still there. But, but you just notice that they're weary. What could I do to encourage them? To notice the age-related battles that they're battling. It may be the age-related battles of, of the elderly. And, and you notice and you want to encourage them. It may be the age-related battles of young couples. Trying to raise children in this world. It may be the age-related battles of young people. And, and to consider them and to encourage them and to let them know that you're praying. This is, this is the body working. This is the church functioning. And it's to encourage the believers. So, Paul is saying, yeah, this is an amazing thing God has done for us. And this is how it ought to work out of your life. It's not just saying, sitting around saying, oh man, God gave me a great gift. I love this gift God gave me. I love this gift God gave No. As a church, we are to equip you to go and minister and to encourage and lift up the hands that are fallen and to provide encouragement and, and to be the one that, that may be the breath of fresh air that they need right then and there. And he closes out the chapter in, in verses 15 and 16, or not the chapter, but the part we're looking at. In verses 15 and 16, speaking the truth in love that you may grow up in all things unto him who is the head. Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So he's saying, okay, here's Christ's body. Christ is the head. Every joint does its part. You know, in your knees you have ACLs, um, ligaments, MCLs, you have um, cartilage, meniscus, they call that. All of those things are doing their job and you don't even notice it in your knee. It's doing its job. You don't even notice it until you injure one of those or until arthritis starts affecting it. You tear your meniscus and, oh man, it's like a sharp needle when you step on it. Certain, What's going on? But when a body's functioning, every joint is doing its part. What's its part? Obey the head. Obey Jesus Christ. Every part does its design... And then it's to the glory of God. The body works. It's not the body, a part of the body shows up to the head, gets what it wants and goes away. No, 
It ministers to one another. Church is not showing up and hearing a sermon and going away. That's not church. The church is to function and our prayer ought to be, God, we want to be the type of church that you want us to be. We want to be ones that are encouraging one another. We want to be ones that are giving out equipment, equipping us to go and do the work of the ministry. We want to be a ministering body to the glory of God. And Paul is saying, this salvation is so great. This is the least that we can do to embrace a a servant's heart, lowliness of mind, gentleness, long-suffering, speaking the truth in love, lining up under the head, and every one of us has a different part. I I don't even begin to comprehend what makes a hand work and, and all the ligaments and all the knuckles and joints and muscles, but what a blessing it works, right? And and there are certain things that I I never even give any attention to. This this little tendon that goes down to the pinky finger, I I, I don't know that I've ever said thank you tendon for doing the good work that you're doing there. But you know what? It makes the body work. And it doesn't matter what you have compared to others. It matters what God's called us. Every member does its part as the head directs. And Christ is the head of the church. And you know what? As we say, God, we want to be what you want us to be. I want to be what you want me to be. See, I'm not... You or I are not responsible for everybody else, but I am responsible for me and you are for you. And if I become what God wants me to be, the body will become more like what it wants Him to be. And if we together do that. So, today, you're here by God's design. It's, it's, not, it's not coincidence that you're here and hear this. So... You need to be asking yourself, okay, to walk worthy of the calling God has given me, where is there that I need to adjust? Lowliness of mind, gentleness in my attitude toward others, long-suffering. Have I cut people off? Bearing with one another in love. And what am I involved in the ministry? And I'm not talking about the ministry like, teaching Sundays, those are ministries. I'm talking about just ministering to people, praying for them, encouraging. Who have I encouraged? Who have I noticed even? Yeah, we notice the major things when when someone loses a loved one, and we do pretty good at that. But there's a lot. Who doesn't welcome encouragement? Nobody gets an encouraging text or call or encouragement card and say, "Ah, I don't need that thing today. Why'd they waste their time doing that? Hey, I just want you to know I really appreciate you. I'll go take that to somebody else. I don't need your appreciation. If that's your attitude, you've got way bigger issues than we can even begin to deal with. Everybody likes appreciation. And especially the whole world is against us as believers. 
We don't need to be. We need to be helping, lifting up. Come on, you can do it. Good job. See, that's what we need. Active encouragement. And if we'd obey the head, we'd be doing that. We are not walking worthy of our calling if we are not actively, faithfully, and enthusiastically ministering to one another in our local church. We're not walking worthy of the calling. And it's too easy for us to, to just continue to go through the motions. I, I thank God for this church. I thank God for you as people. But I know we can be way, bring way more glory to God when, when we all line up with the head. And when we actively serve one another, consider one another, and then to encourage them in the faith. Heavenly Father, I pray that there would be worked out of our lives as a result of our time together here today, active ministry. Lord, I pray that, that across the board, the ministry of the church would be to continually equip us for doing the ministry that we would then consider one another and that we would actively and through the direction of Your Spirit intentionally minister and build up and strengthen one another. And that then there would be glory in the church. That there would be a strong body that is, is ready for service to You. That there would be battles that would be won. Lord, I pray that there would be weary souls that would be encouraged and strengthened through the ministry one to another. I pray that there would be emotional and physical and spiritual needs met through us as we minister to one another. And Lord, I pray that there would be great praise to You as a result of us obeying the head. Lord, may we truly walk worthy of this great calling that You've given us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.